You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Hey, good morning. I am Mary Beth Cunningham, and I'm the Senior High Youth Director for the Advent. So I work mainly with high school girls, uh, with high school boys as well, but with an emphasis being on the girls in small groups and Bible studies. And I'm so glad we're here this morning, even though it's a smaller group when it's a holiday weekend. Um, Let me pray for us before we get started. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for who you are, that you are a God who sees us and knows us and you love us regardless. We thank you for how you just use broken vessels. And so I pray this morning that you will just speak through me. I pray that I will come less and that you will come more. Father, will you open our hearts to hear your word as we begin to dive in to learn about who you are and who we are. And so we thank you so much for what you've done. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this year, our theme, I don't know if y'all have been to any of the other faith and family classes, but we're going through a theme in Sunday school with the high school students about gospel identity. So we're really wanting to know who they are in Christ, not who their friends say they are, not based on how they perform, but who the Lord says they are. And we really pay attention to themes in the culture and what the students are asking for prayer requests. And what we've noticed is they're just, they're overly anxious and they're overly stressed and they're really in search for stability. And so we've kind of developed this series of catechism questions to help them understand who the Holy Spirit says they are, who Jesus says they are, who God says they are, and who are they. And if you've been to any of the other classes, the first one was taught by Jack Sharman, and he first just talked about what a performance identity is, so what that looks like to live out of a performance-based identity. And then Tucker taught a class on who does the Spirit say you are, that you are washed and clean. That's our second question. And then who does Jesus say you are, that you've been made righteous and forgiven. And then who does the Father say that you are. Last week, Rachel talked about being an adopted child of God and what benefits we receive out of that. And all these questions are kind of on our church website, and if you need to see the images, we're hoping that you'll use them as images to text out to your kids if they're about to take a test or play a soccer game, just to remind them that, hey, the way you perform based on this right here does not define you. And so you can go to our website and look under Youth Ministry and see these different images if you're ever interested in seeing those. We're kind of wrapping up the series today based on our final question of who are you? So you are a sinner saved by grace. And we're really going to focus on that tension, the tension of the already and the not yet. So knowing that we're a sinner saved by grace, what does it look like to live in this tension? What does it look like to live between the already and the not yet? And so first we'll talk about what does that mean? What does the already and the not yet mean? And then we'll move into Romans 7. And so we're going to look at a passage from Paul and see how he just kind of describes that tension. And then we'll go to talking about what does it look like in our own lives to live in this tension of the in-between and in our kids' lives, our children's lives, And then what is our role? So knowing that we're kind of in this in-between stage, what is our role in parenting? What is our role um, in our own lives? And the way I teach is a little bit more interactive, so I'm hoping that I'm not the one up here teaching the whole time. And so the reason I've given you pens and paper is because I'm going to give you some time to write these things out on your own. One of the things the girls have really loved in our small group this year is when I give them a few journal questions or a few minutes just on their own to sit with the Lord to hear from Him. I find that probably hearing from Him is a lot better than hearing from me. So we'll do the same thing. I'll have some questions where you sit on your own and kind of journal out for a little bit. But first, um, to start, let's talk about this tension of the already and the not yet. The very first chart on your page 
we see kind of where we are um, based on the fact that Christ has come. So the first one, Christ has come and he's defeated sin and death, but not yet has he returned in full in glory. So we're here knowing that Christ has come, he's out on the cross for us, but yet he hasn't come back a second time. And then also, so Christ is king. His kingdom is in force here. We see the way he uses us as agents to move his kingdom forward, but not yet is has his kingdom fully come on earth. So we still see brokenness. We still see sin. And then we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit somehow lives in us, but not yet. I mean, but we're still able to live out of the flesh. So we can we can act according to the Spirit, but we also are still able to sin. And then we've been made righteous and forgiven, but we're still awaiting that destruction of that sinful nature in us. And we've been adopted as children of God, but we still await glorification. And then we know that we have eternal life. Like in this moment right now, we have eternal life, but our bodies haven't physically been resurrected yet. So we still suffer with things like sickness and brokenness. So just defining that, that really the already is just the benefits that we receive right now as a redemption, as of what Christ has done in this life, but then the not yet, the benefits that still await us at consummation at the end. So we move into Romans 7. Let me give you a little bit of background. Romans was written by the Apostle Paul. And in this chapter, he's really explaining the need for justification through faith. So because of our heart problem, because of our sin, that we need justification. And he really spells out the results based on present experience and future hope. And he tells us that we're not under the law. But what he's really saying is the law is not really the problem. The problem is actually what's in our hearts. The problem is actually sin and that we're creatures of flesh. And so as we read this passage, when we hear the word flesh, we just want to remember that that's being ruled by our own desires. That's when we're living out of our own wants, our own needs. And that how apart from Christ, like on our own, our hearts are, are sinful, empty. There's nothing good. But now, because of the law, we've been freed. So let's read Romans 7. We're going to read verses 15 through 25. He says, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law. That is good. So no, so no, so now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. This is one of the most confusing passages because he's like, I do this, I don't do this. And you just hear do not want, want, do not want over and over again. So I really want to break it down to help us kind of understand what it is that Paul's getting at here. But he's talking about the struggle of obedience on our own strength. So when we're depending on ourselves. In verse 15, he says, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. You know, hear the wrestling here. It's these areas where he can't quite get it together. Paul's like, he's wrestling with himself. He's wrestling with his decisions. He's wanting to do right. He's like, I know what I'm supposed to be doing and I want to do it right. But he's like, I can't, I can't follow it out myself. I'm getting in the way. I don't know if y'all can relate to this. I really can in, in more lighthearted ways. And then in really serious ways, I like to say that my mind works in loopholes. And so when I'm faced with like a boundary or a rule, my mind immediately goes to how to get around it with things that are so silly, like joining the membership at the Y. My roommates and I, there's four of us. And when we were joining the membership, we realized all they asked for was like my name, my birthday, 
and like an address, but they didn't need a license plate. They didn't need, I mean, a, a driver's license. They didn't need anything. And so when I went to get pick up the tags, I just said, I'm Mary Beth Cunningham and this is my birthday. And they handed me the tags and it was just two of us that signed up. But I realized they don't really check. Like if they scan my card, they don't know if my roommate's me because there's no picture, no photo ID. So in reality, we all four could be using this one account and paying like a fourth of the price, right? And that seems silly, but it works in other ways. Like when you go to an airport, you know how you go through security and they check you out. But then when you get to your layover, like when you're trying to get to Dallas, but you have to fly to Atlanta first, then you're in Atlanta's airport. You have your boarding pass. When you get on the second plane, they don't like check your license again, right? So if I found like you in the airport and I said, hey, do you want to go to Monroe, Louisiana? We could just switch boarding passes and then you could go somewhere else and I could, right? And so silly, like why would you need to? You probably wouldn't want to go to Monroe. But if I'm trying to go with a crime, I mean, we could be somewhere else. But things like this where I know the rules. I know stealing from the Y is not right. I know that all four of us need to pay if we're going to go. Um, that tension of knowing what's right, but knowing how to get around it, knowing what I really would like to do. I'd like to save money on my membership. But then the same thing with our kids or with us when it comes to relationships or comes to actions. Um, a lot of things that the girls pray for when we're doing prayer requests is their relationship with their moms or their dads. They, they're like, I'm exhausted and I'm tired and I come in at the end of the day and I snap. I speak so harshly to my mom. My words are so critical, but I don't want to. Like I know in me as I'm speaking these words, that's not what I want to be saying. And it's that tension of there's still something in me that's not quite right. And what we think is a lot of times, like this water cup, we think that what happens is that someone does something to upset you and so they bump you and the water comes out. And what do you say? You like blame it on the person. You're like, you bumped me and then the water came out. But the reality is like the water's in the cup already. So like that sin is already in our hearts. It's just somebody else that does something and then we think, oh, well they made that come out. But really it's, it's already down in there. And so I see that in high school, I remember the way this looked for me, this, this tension of like, the tension of wanting to do right, but also not understanding it was a lot with drinking. Um, when I went to middle school, I was at a private middle school and I had these eight solid group of friends and we moved to high school. There was two of us that really didn't start partying. The other six really started partying and my mom, I would come home and I'd be so upset. And she, she said, I used to be like, I just want to go out and, you know, drink with my friends and she was like you didn't really want to like you weren't making those choices my our, you know your mom your dad and I didn't really have to enforce that on you because you knew it was right you knew what you wanted to do but what you were saying is that you really just wanted to fit in you know you really just wanted to be accepted you really just wanted to have those friends back and it's that tension of like knowing where my heart's supposed to be but also having this this battle and so I want you to take a few minutes and on your sheet look at what does the living in the tension look like? And I want you to write for yourself. So what areas do you feel like maybe you can't just get it together? Or um, is it being short-tempered? Is it not being gentle with your words? Is it not being patient? Is it being a little prideful? Are you quick to judge? Is it even seeing things like sickness and death in your life? And you can start kind of writing down that down for you. So what does it look like to live in the tension for yourself? What areas do you feel like you wrestle with or you struggle with?
And then once you're done with that one, move on and see what does it look like for your children. Okay, welcome. Come on in. I'm going to hand you one of these. Got a sheet and we're kind of on the first question. Um, yes, of course. And so the second one. So what does it look like for your children? Do you see them struggling with anxiety? Are they maybe not gentle with their words? Are they unkind to their brothers and their sisters? Do you see them wanting to fit in, knowing they shouldn't be certain things, but feeling this, this temptation or this pressure? Is it a pressure to cheat or gossip? Is it within dating? What are those areas that you see them feeling like, oh, I just can't get it together. I still have this, this struggle. And the reason we talk about this is because a lot of times I think when students feel like they accept the Lord or they, they know they have Jesus or they're turning to him and they still see hard things in their life, they still see sickness or brokenness or they get their heart broken or friendships, they're, they're treated poorly. They wonder, like, what's happening here? You know, why am I still wrestling with these things today? And we think the same things. We wonder, why do we still see these things in our, in our life that aren't quite right? So verse 17, he says, So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Now, is Paul denying his responsibility as a sinner here? He's really not. He's recognizing that as he sins, he's actually acting against his nature as a new man. So when he puts his faith in Christ, he becomes a new person. And now when he sins, he's acting against his true nature. So that's what we do as well. When we um, are short with our, our husbands or our wives or our words aren't kind or we see our students with pressures to cheat or they cheat, they're actually acting against who they are in Christ. If they're if they're in Christ, they're acting against who they are in Christ. And so we have to recognize we're not who we once were, that we're called to walk in a newness of life. Now, what does that mean for us? It means that as our children and as we have this impulse to sin, it's not coming from who we really are. But where is it coming from? And he tells us in 18, he says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. So he's saying the problem isn't knowledge. It's not knowing right and wrong. It's the lack of power. It's that the, the law provides no power. So the law says, here are the rules. Here's, here's how you're supposed to behave. Now keep them. And on our own, we can't do that. Um, when we're depending on ourselves on our own way, we're not able to uphold the law of the Lord. We see that time and time again in the Old Testament with the Israelites, even in our own lives, we fall short continuously as long as who we're depending on and turning to is ourselves. As long as I'm relying on, well, I'll just try harder next time. I'll just do better. And we can't expect our kids to do the same thing. This is where it comes in for them is when we just say, you know, you know, you're not supposed to lie or, you know, you're not supposed to steal I mean, as long as they're depending on themselves to do that, they're just going to continue to, to fail time and time again. Does it make sense? Um, and stop me at any time if you have questions or if nothing's really hitting home. So now let's look at the battle between the two selves. So what this looks like, this tension that Paul's describing. In 21, he says, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. So right here, Paul's he's aware of that struggle C.S. Lewis says no one is aware of how bad he is until he has tried to be good. So not until we realize time and time again that we keep failing, that we really can't do it on our own. One thing that we've asked the kids um, over the past couple weeks, 
was to write down three areas of their life that they would want Christ to live perfectly for them. So what are three areas in their life that they're like, if the Lord could just take this and I could sit back and not do anything, like these are the three that are that, that are really weighing on me the most. And so we asked them to, um, to write those out, and I want you all to do the same thing right now. So what are the three areas in your life? Is it as a father or a son or a daughter or an employer or an employee or a friend or a mentor? Is it trying to be the perfect parent or extending grace to your children? Write those three areas that you're like, I would love to be able to sit back and have the Lord just do this perfectly for me. Where I feel like maybe I'm failing time and time again. Maybe that wouldn't work. <laughs> and then I want you to hear some of the things. The students, we don't know who wrote these. Um, they're anonymous, and I've actually got them even more mixed up, so they're not all coming from the same person. But it's just helpful to hear the cry of our students' hearts, of the areas where they wish, you know, where they feel the most pressure. So sometimes I wish that someone could live my life right now because I always feel like I'm under so much stress, always being held to a certain standard with my clothes, with my friends, how well I perform, what my grades look like, finding the perfect balance in being social and having good grades, in a constant state of worry, stress, anxiety, and really feel like I have a, never have a moment of peace. I wish someone could live life for me as a student athlete, as a daughter, as a sister, as a teammate. As a student, I'd like to have better inputs with better outputs. As a daughter, I would love to give my parents all the respect they deserve. As a sister, I want to treat my brother the way he deserves to be treated all the time. Life as a student, life as someone who fears the future. Life as someone who feel, feels jealous of others sometimes. Life as someone who feels pressure to perform. I wish someone could live the part of my life where I prepare for college. My parents have recently started talking about college, and it's the most overwhelming thing I ever could get, um, I ever have had to deal with. Also would love to be a better sibling. As someone who constantly feels compared to their family members, as someone who constantly feels like they're being judged by their family members, as someone who feels like they constantly have to prove their worth, as someone who has a hard time making a group of friends, as someone who feels like an outcast, as someone who has divorced parents, as someone who's just giving off a fake persona. And then this one, I wish you just could live my life for me because then I wouldn't make anyone mad or sad because I sinned. And so that cry of their hearts, I think we just see the pressure that they feel to perform and that these are really the areas where they feel like they're falling short or they feel like they're not doing enough or getting enough. Um, but with the key being when we depend on ourselves, when we feel like, well, I just need to try harder as a student. I just need to help myself be more social. I just need to be nicer to my brother. I just need to be kind to my parents. I just need to relax. Like, don't worry about it. It rarely works. We, we find ourselves just failing time and time again when, we, when we're looking only to ourselves, to inner strength. And let's keep moving with the text. Paul in 22 says, For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, that I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells within me. So he's caught in this desperate powerlessness of trying to battle sin on, himself, on by himself. 
And so we can't stop sinning. We can't find our worth. We can't prove ourselves. We can't find our identity by trying harder or just like buckling down and saying like, well, I'll just get it right this time. I'll just do better. When we try that, we end up finding ourselves empty and worn out and exhausted and stressed and anxious. And really, what do we do? We really just strive for control, right? We just take those areas and we say, I'm going to control them. or I'm going to make sure the factors go the way that I want. And so we're pretty much in a constant state of fear. We're living in fear that we're going to miss the mark, that we're not going to measure up. And when we expect our kids to do the same thing, to just try harder, we just set them up for failure. We just set them up to fail again. And it's kind of like drowning. So when I was younger, I was caught, I was out swimming with my cousins. They were older than me. They're my guy cousins are older than me with his uncle and or I guess my uncle, their dad. And we were swimming and all of a sudden, I don't know if you can call it an undertow, but an undertow came and I was out farther than I could touch. And you just start getting sweep, like swept back and back farther and farther. And no matter how hard you try to swim forward, you tend to just be swept farther and farther back. And in that moment, there was nothing I could do. We were out pretty deep. And my uncle had to come and just scoop me up and grab me and pull us both to shore at that moment. And at that point, I wasn't helping him any. I wasn't kicking a little bit. Um, I was completely dependent and completely helpless and completely um, leaning on him. And that's how we are, too. The reality is we need an all-out rescue. We don't just need a little help. We don't need someone to come in and just... Um, give us a little boost or just say like, here's some floaties. Um, we need someone to completely come in and scoop us out. That's the depth of our sinfulness. That's the depth of, of our hearts. And that's hard to realize and hard to hear. But it's also the depth of our children's hearts as well. Um, we are so defenseless on our own. But let's see. So how do we respond? If we know that we need an all-out rescue, we've talked about how normally our response is to depend on other people or to depend on ourselves. What does Paul say? In verse 24, he says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He just cries out. He cries out for an all-out rescue. He recognizes that he's completely desperate. He's in need of of help. Not a life preserver, not self-preservation, but complete help. So now I want you to take a few minutes and answer that next question about when faced with attention, when you're faced with those areas, those areas that you wish the Lord would live out perfectly for you, whenever you fall short, whenever you fail, how do you respond? Do you respond in failure? Do you get frustrated? Are you fearful? Do you end up having a lack of grace with the people around you? Do you try harder? Do you say, I'll just do better? Do you end up feeling unworthy or worthless? And if you want under that, you can put the same thing like we did before on how you see your students, or I mean your kids, um, how they respond when they feel like they failed. The ways we see is mainly anxiety and stress. So they just live in this constant state of anxiety and stress, and then they just try harder. They're just on this performance treadmill, trying to prove themselves. And so let's see who Paul turns to. In verse 25, Paul says, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. So we have to do the same thing. We have to look outside of ourselves and we have to look to Christ. Christ has extended his grace upon grace by paying the price for sin. 
And Paul doesn't pretend that looking to Jesus takes away the struggle. He doesn't pretend that just because when we cry out to the Lord, those those struggles go away. It's just that Christ then works through us. So he, he came to work his victory through us. And that's how we, that's the hope we have to offer our kids too, is that Christ has come to work through them. That last question, I want you to look at or write down where have you seen the grace of God in your life? So what are the areas where you know the Lord saw you and yet still forgave you and still loved you? So what are some areas in your life where you remember just experiencing the Lord's absolute grace? Maybe in the midst of your wondering, in the midst of not deserving it, where have you experienced the all-out rescue? What are the moments for you? And if you haven't, if you haven't experienced the moments of the Lord's grace or that all-out rescue, where, where maybe, what areas maybe do you need Him to rescue you from? That next chart on your page. So you see that chart. This is what we've been using a lot with the students. Um, Cameron's been using this. On the top, you see that it says God. And on the bottom, it says mankind. And so that's us. And what we have is the hard truth and the nice truth. It's kind of the way we've worded it. The things that are a little bit hard for us to to admit to ourselves or wrestle with. And with that being about the Lord. So our hard truth is that God is so holy and so just. So Lord is so holy that he actually can't be with us in our sinful state. That actually in the midst of our mess and we're in our sinful state, he can't be with us. And he's so just that he has to punish sin and death. So our disobedience, our wondering, has to be punished. And the hard truth about us is that we are we are very sinful. We have hearts that, that are broken and that have have had sin entered into them. And we're in need of a rescue. So we are sinful and needy. We need an all-out rescue. And that's kind of hard to admit. It's kind of hard to admit that we're in a state where we need somebody to come in and just completely sweep us out. But then the nice truth, or the good truth about God, is that he is so loving and so merciful that he would send his son to die for us on the cross. That that's, that's the depth of his love and his mercy, is that in our wondering, he would send his only son to pay the price for us. And then the nice truth about us, what does that mean for us? That we are so valuable and we are so loved that he would do that. So we see these two things. Once again, another tension, that we are so sinful and so needy, but we're also so valuable and so loved that he would do that for us. And so as we do some takeaways and we see what is our response and what is our role, to kind of wrap up, knowing this tension, know the way it looks in our own lives, knowing how it looks in our students' lives, what do we do about this? So number one, Jesus has the ultimate responsibility. And so we have to recognize that, that Christ has the ultimate responsibility for our lives and for our students' lives. We have a role to play. But our role is to just trust and depend on him more in the midst of parenting, in the midst of these areas that we've written down, that our our role is just to trust that he has made us washed and clean, that he has made us righteous and forgiven, and that he has made us an adopted child of God. And that means that we're enough because of Christ. When God looks at us now, he doesn't see my mess. He doesn't see all that I've done. He sees Jesus when he looks at me. And that's how he's well-pleased with me. That's how he's well-pleased with our children. Because when he sees them, when they've accepted Christ in their hearts, that's who he sees. He sees the Lord. I mean, he sees Christ. And then two, remember that God's grace is bigger than our struggle with sin. So there's moments where you wrote down where you remember the Lord extending this grace to you, this, this undeserved mercy. We have to extend that same grace to our kids. 
And so when they fall short, when they don't measure up, we remember the, what the Lord's done for us. Remember how he's rescued us. And we extend that same grace to our children. I remember when I started driving, my dad, I was 16, and I was really confident driving. I wasn't worried. My brother was the opposite. He was like pulling up to every stoplight, super nervous. But I was whipping around everywhere and gave my dad a heart attack. But when I was about three months into driving, I came flying in the driveway one, one day. My dad came out and he was like, Mary Beth, you're going to have a wreck. He's like, I'm telling you, you're too confident. You think you've got this. You're going to have a wreck. And I was like, okay, okay, dad. Yes, yes. And it, I mean, it wasn't three weeks later that I was pulling in to a movie theater parking lot with my friend and she was driving too. And so I was watching her as we both pulled in and I just rammed into a parked, like this guy's brand new Nissan Altima. I mean, parked car. Just nailed it. <laughs> so what is my response? I just start bawling. I'm just, I, I don't know what to do. I'm like, dad told me I was going to have a wreck. Here we are. And so I call him and I'm terrified. And when Jay Cunningham gets mad, he like bites his teeth. He like kind of grits him. And that's when I'm like, I just need to run. Like he's in trouble. I mean, I'm in trouble. He is mad. But I call and I'm so upset. And luckily he was eating at a restaurant really close by with my mom. And so he just came over and I mean, just hugged me. Just ultimate grace in that moment. I think saw how upset I was, knew that what he needed, what I needed in that moment was to be comforted and just extended, I mean, complete grace. And so that's, that's what the Lord has done to us on such a bigger scale. And I think we all have that moments where there, we either remember that Christ had extended that grace to us or somebody else has. Somebody else has looked at you and said, Hey, like it's okay. And so that's what we have to offer our kids is we own up and we say sorry when we can, when we're short-tempered in the car, when we've spoken to our husband or our wife like we're not supposed to um, with harsh words or we've gotten really frustrated with them. We come and we say, you know, baby, mommy's so sorry that she she yelled at the car like that. Like that was not, um, that's not how I'm called to live as, you know, as Christ and that's not what what I'm supposed to be speaking like. And so we, we apologize and we, we acknowledge that we're in this struggle with them, that we wrestle with this too. And we let them know that it's okay for them too as well. And that our response is to call out for help, just to call out for forgiveness. And then the last thing, so we, we acknowledge that the Lord has ultimate responsibility. And our role is just to surrender, to trust more. Two, that God's grace is so much bigger than our struggle with sin. And then three, that Christ is with us in that waiting, in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of still being upset and frustrated or the brokenness we see. Jesus is with us, and that's something that we have, is that his Holy Spirit is actually with us in the waiting, and that's the sweetest gift, that he's not left us on our own. And so with these cards, what do we do with these cards or with the areas that we've written on our paper? Our role is just to lay them down at Jesus' feet and just to trust and surrender and say, Jesus, you know, I need your help with this. With our students, we say it's not a free pass. It's not saying, well, I don't have to study because Christ has made me enough. I don't have to study because he can just work this through me. It's in that moment saying, Lord, I need your help. I'm having trouble focusing. And you know that this is this is a hard class. I need you to help me study. I need you to work through me. It's just that moment of pause before we move into action where we surrender and we say, Christ, you know, help. And so sometimes what we think is that the problem is that they just don't know what to do. Like if they had the right knowledge, if they knew how to act the right way, then they would just do the right thing. And youth groups can work that way a lot of times, too. Like, we'll just tell them that they shouldn't be drinking or they shouldn't be having sex before marriage, and then they'll know. But that doesn't really work. And then we sometimes think, well, they're not motivated enough. Like, they just don't have the right encouragement. They don't have, you know, uh, someone cheering them on or saying, you can do it. There's no one in their life pouring into them. 
And if they just had that, then they would know what was what was right and they would do it. But that still doesn't work. And sometimes we think, well, they just don't know themselves. If they knew that there was like a sin problem, they knew that what was going on in their heart is they were just sinning, then if we told them, hey, you're, you're just sinning, then they would just stop. But that doesn't work either. Because the law shows us how to behave. It tells us what to do. It actually even encourages us. It tells us, um, it encourages us in the way we're supposed to walk. And it tells us that our struggle with sin, we have to remember that as sinners, we're in need of grace. Not a teacher, not a motivational speaker, not even a doctor, but a savior. We're in need of an all-out rescue. So who will deliver us from this body of death? We say thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let me pray for us and then we can go through some questions. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for who you are, Lord, that you're a God who sees us and that you know us, Lord, and that you know our children. We thank you that you have the ultimate responsibility for them, Lord, that you have placed in our lives and we have a role to play. But Father, we pray that you'll just draw us to dependence on you, that we'll have a desire to see you and to know you more. And Lord, we just work in us. Um, Lord, we just surrender. We come to you, trusting you with all that you've done for us and who you are. And so we ask this in your son's Jesus name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.